The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we're going to talk about Austin FC's up and down week with a loss at Colorado and then a victory over Real Salt Lake. We'll also cover a few other pieces of Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I had the pleasure of, like, with with all of you, like, watching an afternoon game on Saturday, which was a bit of an interesting experience, like, getting on the train before lunchtime was odd. Uh, The daytime sunlight and temperature was a little odd, and, uh, but, you know, we enjoyed like having the game and being able to get home and have it like a normal life beyond it. And I know you had a little bit different experience with being in the sun on the East side of the stadium. Yeah, man, it was uh, the leading up to the game. I kind of thought it was going to be rainy. And so I was more worried about the rain, like before and after the game, because our seats would have been covered by the rain and then kind of worried about like the playing surface if it was raining, but it ended up being bright and sunny and the sun on that east side was just oppressive and it was just beating up on us the whole game. And I noticed some guys came and sat down next to us for about 30 seconds and then got up and left again. And I was like, I wonder where they're going after just sitting down. And I looked over to the supporter section which is shaded the entire game. And it seemed to be filling up as the first half went on. So I think a lot of people got up and went over there because they saw that the sun wasn't shining on those folks. Yeah, and it was like a weird energy all game, which there was a lot of reasons for that. Like the Longhorns played right before because I started, I watched like the, the UT football game at Hop Squad and then like watched the end of the game walking over on my, like on my phone. There was ACL in town. And so while like the supporter section was amazing, the rest of the stadium was like a little bit off or a little bit odd. Now, I don't know if it was just daytime or a lack of booze or what, but did you notice that too? Yeah, and I think it's a little bit of all those things. I, I, like I noticed just sitting around us, there was a lot of people I didn't recognize. So I think, uh, yeah, I think ACL probably took some folks out um, just being during the day and being like not, not sure what the weather is going to look like. Maybe took some folks out. And then uh, just it being so hot on that east side, it seemed – like you said, the supporter section was still rocking, but maybe the energy was a bit more subdued uh, in other parts of the stadium. That being said, this is all we're speaking relatively here compared to other Austin FC games compared to, mm, I don't know, 90 percent of the rest of the league. This was still a way better atmosphere than what you're going to see. So not criticizing by any means, just noticing that it it was a little bit down in a lot of the stadium. Yeah, one I think one of the moments that you talked about was you went back and watched the broadcast today uh, on the, did you watch the Spanish language broadcast? Yeah. Is that right? And sort of like the way they describe the game. So you want to uh, share that? Yeah. So in the, like one of my, uh, I guess like pet peeves with broadcasts sometimes is the the way they mix in the audio to the broadcast, because for like the first 20 minutes or so they had crowd mics turned up and you could still hear the supporter section really well and hear all the chants and the drums. And then about 20 minutes on, like it was like a, uh, like a switch got flipped and they went to a different set of mics or put a filter on that mic or something. And it just sounded really weird, like unnatural and quiet for the rest of the game. And so the announcers who 
they could still hear everything and they like they kept commenting on how great the atmosphere was oh the fans are amazing blah, blah 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 but then they weren't mixing that sound into the broadcast anymore and so it felt a little bit strange but um there's one moment that I saw I just saw a clip of this floating around uh floating around on Twitter of was it the the, the English language Twitter broadcast for today and yeah was that, it's, it's, was that who yes, it was the English language broadcast when when Quervis is on and everybody gets down and they're like oh I guess the Austin FC fans are taking a break and then people started going nuts and just like throwing stuff in the air and and then they just admitted they had no idea what they were talking about because <laughs> they're taking a break <laughs> yeah the spanish language guys handled that better because it's the same feed right like the same camera feed is going on and they're showing that and they're like commenting on how everyone squatted down but like but nobody sat down all the way yet nobody sat down and then in that moment in the song where everyone just goes crazy this one guy's like ah que fiesta <laughs> and it's like oh he loved it it, <laughs> it makes me happy yeah i love that too so and that was so that was the game. That was Saturday's game, but we've got another game this week uh, on Thursday. The national team is going to play uh, at Q2 Stadium, and I believe that we both have both have tickets to that. And there's, I mean, it'd be interesting. Like you talked about the atmosphere that everybody talks about that. I think you have an opinion on how maybe the national team atmosphere is different from an Austin FC atmosphere, and like expectations should be should be different about that. Yeah, I mean, you you keep hearing this on on like ESPN broadcasts, what Fox broadcasts, whoever it is, they they mention this this USMNT game coming and saying like, oh, the atmosphere is going to be crazy there. Which it is, it's a sold out game. It's going to be good, but it is going to be very different to an Austin FC game. If for nothing else, just the chants are very different. Like the the energy and like the the vibe that the Morga brings with that music that they're playing. And those chants that they're leading is very different from what the American Outlaws do at a national team game. Uh, and very, di- in my very different in my opinion, what way, Landon. I feel like you need you, you feel like you have a significant opinion on this <laughs> that you need to share. <laughs> I do not like the the American Outlaws chants like at all. Like none of them. I don't like them. And so I think some other people, I like I know a lot of people who still really like are really into that and will be down there jumping and singing with it all. And I just don't care. And so maybe my opinion is is a little bit biased, but I, I much prefer the atmosphere at an Austin FC game to that of uh, a national team game. And so but if, even if even if you do like it, it is just a very different thing. Um, I, the songs are different, but also a lot of people who make that atmosphere for the Murga at Austin FC games aren't USA fans or like. Maybe they like they would be, but aren't going to be going to this game because the songs are different and it's not their their band leading everything. And so it, it's just going to be a very different thing. But but it is it is a sold out game. I think the crowd will be there as long as getting there early for that early kickoff doesn't affect anything. But I am very much looking forward to it because, um, yeah, I've been to a Gold Cup game over the summer for Qatar. And then I saw Friendly against Chile in Houston a few years ago. And that's the only usa action i've ever seen so I, I am excited for the game yeah i'm the same way the only usa action i've ever seen was uh friendly it was the uh friendly in san antonio where jordan morris was i think he was still in college right and he scored he scored twice and it was like the dosa cero game in the alamo dome and it was the worst field ever laid down in the world because he laid grass on top of that <laughs> turf and it just slid up in chunks um 
every time anybody made a tackle, which was kind of a mess. So, but still, I mean, it should be it should be a good night on Thursday. I'm going to go with some friends of mine who have known. It's kind of the guys that help like help get me into soccer, and they lived in San Antonio. And I haven't seen them in probably five years. But when the announcement came out that the national team was going to play like a meaningful game at Q2, we all decided that was what we needed to go do and see. So I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, I'm going to I'm not expecting the same environment that you get out of an Austin FC match. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into Austin FC's crazy week. So Austin had a game on Sunday and then a game on Wednesday and another game Saturday afternoon, which is like three game weeks happen. But this is a kind of congestion that we've not seen. And I don't think many teams ever really see uh, is in three games and essentially like six and a half days or something like that, which it was a lot. But um, so Austin won that game on Sunday. Wolf mentions several times during a couple of press conference that they're going to need to rotate. Uh, with so many games coming up. Uh, and I don't know that any of us knew exactly what he meant by that. I guess he maybe tried to warn us without telling <laughs> telling everything. But uh, during the day on Wednesday, the day of the Colorado game, uh, Jorge Iturralde tweets out that he had found out that uh, Driussi, Gite, and Fagundes did not travel with the team and were not in Colorado. Uh, whenever the the lineups came out, we found out that Kolmanich also did not travel with the team. Uh, and so we knew that it was going to be a very different lineup to the previous game. Uh, and then it came out and the list of names was just bizarre. I think there were four or five people on there that were wingers, really. And... We're just like we are sitting there trying to piece together like what is this lineup going to look like and we settled on something and like pretty confident I was like I think this looks good and so I tweeted out from the Moon Tower account and then the lineups came out and we pretty much nailed it right like I think we got Perez and uh, him, uh, Jimenez switched and so they were they were both at wing back but we got them on the wrong side and other than that we got it yeah pretty much exactly right yeah we did so we were at the uh we we're at the uh los fredes watch party at central machine works with like a little group of people that were all like really into you know just like into the tactics of it all and i think everybody an hour before the game when that lineup came out just we're, we were all like staring at our phones and trying to figure out like exactly what josh wolf had done and it leads me back to the discussion we had last week when we bragged upon the fact that we had so much death we would not have to worry about seeing Manny Perez in the starting lineup again, which is something that lasted for <laughs> for I mean, two days for us, one day in soccer time, you know, between like recording and release. Uh it you know, and there he was. But like you said, I mean Josh talked about rotation and maybe we should have expected that in Colorado. So we we ended up, I think it was seven changes to our lineup and Colorado rotated too. I mean, just not quite yeah, as much. Not, and they're not as heavily yeah. as us, but they did rotate pretty heavily. I would say probably four or five guys that weren't regular starters played for them. And I mean, they're a little bit deeper than us also because they're an established team and they, they, they weren't dealing with any injuries or anything. But it was uh, the lineup was interesting and the formation was interesting. Yeah, it was a little bit of the uh, on the road against FC Dallas kind of style, right? Where we just wanted to bunker and 
I don't know, pray for the best. How would you just, how would you describe the way we lined up and played? Yeah, no, that's, that's what it was. I think at halftime, uh, the possession Colorado had over 60% of the possession at halftime. So I think that's an accurate representation there. So, uh, let's, let's go ahead and get into the game. So like you said, we're sitting pretty deep and trying to just launch balls up to, uh, up to gains up top, which I mean, it, it almost kind of worked a few times, but it never looked super dangerous, really. Um, I think the first real moment of note was the 35th minute uh, where McKenzie Gaines breaks free, as he did a few different times. Uh, and he's approaching the box. Looks like he's going to be in one-on-one on, on uh, William Yarbrough, the keeper. And Lala Sabubakar runs up behind him with an arm outstretched and just like, gives him a shove in the back as he's about to to wind up to shoot and he goes down and i i mean in the moment i thought it was a penalty and then after watching the replay a few times i'm even more positive it was a penalty um or at the very least a foul like what what is how did you see that one yeah i felt like it was a clear to me it was a clear penalty because he was he's the last guy in the line between gains and the goal. And he made a very active move to, to deny him, um, deny him out of that. And so yeah, it I, really I, felt I, like a penalty. And the, you know, the weirdest thing is like, they didn't even go to VAR, right? I mean, that was right. the most frustrating part out of all of it. And I think, um, Josh talked about it. This in the midweek, that's when it was like Claudio got a, text from howard webb apologizing or something and it was about that one right a phone call yeah the the head of of mls's officials howard webb called claudio and essentially apologized for getting this one wrong but i think at the yeah at the very least like there's maybe an argument of it being outside the box but i think it carries into the box and so but i think at like the very least it's a foul on the edge of the box but probably should have been a foul on the edge of the box with a red for denial of goal scoring opportunity for a Bubakar. But I think the right outcome probably should have been a penalty with a red for denial of goal scoring opportunity for a Bubakar. Uh, it's yeah, it, I don't know. I don't get it, but apparently like Howard Webb knows it wasn't right and let Claudio know, but that doesn't give us a penalty retroactively. <laughs> so I don't know how much that helps. Yeah, those after those after the fact apologies never really mean all that much. And so from there, you know, while we waited on pizza for like two hours at Central Machine Works, <laughs> um, which I believe the top of my the roof of my mouth is still burned from that pizza, which was both very good but very hot when it finally came. I mean, it didn't look like anything anything was gonna happen. And then right right at the like I think believe it was after the forty fifth minute, uh things started to go wrong for Austin. Yeah, uh, so we had that the penalty call not get given, and then a little bit after that, it seemed like people were just Austin players were getting frustrated there. Um, Nick Lima fouls. I can't remember who it was on the sideline, and it, it was a foul, but he got mad that it was a foul on the sideline and kicks the ad board on the side and gets a yellow card. And so I think all the Austin players were just a little bit frustrated, and then. I think Pochettino get, maybe gives the ball away. I'm not sure if it was the same play, but I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was. That he gives the ball away. Colorado is, mo- is moving the ball back towards uh, their goal. 
and uh, some uh, somehow Jack Price ends up completely unmarked in the box with the ball. Nobody near him. Nobody really trying to get near him. And he crosses the ball into Jonathan Lewis, who also is not really marked, uh, not really anybody putting any pressure on him. He heads the ball terribly. <laughs> and uh, I don't think if if it was just his header, I don't think it would have even been on target. But it bounces off of Nick Lima's chest and then bounces off of his leg and into the goal. And so it was a pretty shambolic chain of events there that led to that goal. Um, I... I don't know how much blame to put on Lima there. I I feel like he could have done a little bit better to maybe react and and deflect it back towards Tarbell for him to collect it. Uh, but in any case, I think there's a, several other moments that that somebody could have been a bit more focused, put in a little bit more effort in to to stop that play from happening right there before halftime. Yeah, that's where I feel like they were just waiting for halftime to come and yeah. and weren't. And just like they had all checked out and were hoping to like get to the half at nil nil and then adjust from there and they were punished for that. So uh going into the half, I had I had gone to hunt for our pizza that that still had not come two hours after we ordered it. <laughs> and I was uh before I even got back to my seat after the second half kicks off, uh Colorado scores again. This time it's Andrew Tarbell has the ball in his box. Um, he kind of gone out wide and I guess it was Nick Lima that had played Lima kind of played it back into the box toward him. And he was trying to, uh, get the ball deeper to, I don't remember if it was Jimenez or Pereira, but they were not open. He hits the ball pretty weakly, not accurately to where Pereira didn't even get a chance to fight for the ball. And, uh, Mesquita picks it off, takes one touch and curls it around Tarbell for their second goal. And that's yeah, literally right after halftime. Um, watching it back, I wasn't sure if Tarbell could have maybe gotten back into his into the goal mouth and maybe gotten a chance at saving it. I don't I don't really don't think he could have, but in any case, he's definitely at fault for for putting it on a platter for Mosquito there to to finish off the easy goal. Yeah, I, I just remembered uh so I think Dallas Teston was there for the second half of, 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 of the game. And he said, well, when we got to 45, you know, he just, he was going to be nil nil. And he's like, decided to drive to central machine works. And by the time <laughs> like 17 minutes later, when he got there, including halftime, like it was also, it was two nil because it was like Colorado scored in the first minute going into the break. And then like in the first minute out of it. So it was like yeah. two total minutes of soccer time, uh, before things went all the heck. So then, I guess Cecilio subbed in for Manny Perez right after halftime at 46. It did not change the formation. Like what, what, what happened there? They moved Jared Stroud to the wing back. So they kind of stayed in that five, two, three, but Stroud was pushing up a little higher and yeah, kept, uh, Oh, someone who's not a defender at right wing back, which I think Stroud is, is fairly well equipped to do that. But uh, at that point, we were essentially 2 nil down and probably a 5-2-3 wasn't going to cut it at but that point. Anyway. Way to go. Yes, then, then at 57, we did we did have a formation change, right? When Cascante came in for Romagna, did we go back into a more traditional lineup or did we stay the way that we were? I'm honestly not sure. Um, I, 
I watched most of the first half just to get a good idea, like watched it a second time, but I did not really watch much of the end of the game again after that last goal was scored. So honestly, I'm not sure. Because you don't hate yourself and you yeah. don't want to do that to yourself again. <laughs> well, regardless, right after that, uh, Cascante factored into the third goal of the match. Yeah. Uh, Jack Price, who I mentioned earlier, uh, he's one of the most dangerous crossers of the ball in MLS. Uh, he's got a million assists from set pieces and from corners. And that's why I was so upset that they, he was so wide open for, uh, for that first goal. And he hits the corner. Uh, Austin trusty, big center back, uh, goes up and just beats Cascante in the box to win a header and puts it in for, uh, for that third goal and kind of puts that final nail in the coffin. But um, I feel like this has happened several times with both Cascante and Romagna where they're they're in the right spot and just don't win a header. And I don't really know enough about what you're supposed to do in those moments to understand what they're doing wrong. But it seems like it's happened several times. And like, we, we talked about this on the last show. We haven't given up that many set-piece goals this season, but a lot of them seem to be against the defenders you would most you would seemingly most want to be in those positions right like our two biggest players you would want them in those situations and they seem to be the ones who get beat in those situations yeah that's really bad and then the other part of that is like we never score on on set pieces so it's like if you're just watching it you know comparatively speaking you would think we give up a ton but the other part of that is that we do not convert set pieces at all and so yeah once that once it was three once that was three nil, you know, I think we, I mean, we made a couple subs, but that was kind of the end of it for Austin FC. There was like not a lot of hope. Yeah. They were gonna, and, it, and plus Colorado is such a defensive team, you know, like once we gave up the second goal, it was fairly unlikely we're going to come back. Cause that's, yeah, strength. they were, they were set up pretty defensively as well. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't think we are ever going to win this, that game. And like, you could say that the penalty, could have changed the momentum of the game. Uh, there was a ch- John Gallagher had a chance early on where Gaines put him through one on one with Yarbrough, the keeper, and he kind of hesitates and Yarbrough just attacks really aggressively and, and slides outside the box and kicks it away. Um, if one of those comes off, maybe it changes the momentum of the game. But that team uh, in that formation on that night, I don't think they were ever going to win that game, even if even if we did win that penalty. So let's talk about Mackenzie Gaines now. You know, there was that. We had, you know, sort of shown some doubt that Mackenzie Gaines was the answer at striker, uh, which Chris Bills from the Striker Texas called us out uh, (laughs) on last week after the show. So what what did you feel like you saw out of him? Like, are you more or less convinced that he can be a striker solution? How do you, how do you feel coming out of the Wednesday match? I am still not entirely convinced uh, that he is a great option at striker. I, he is so fast that I do want to keep him around next season and just like have that weapon available. Uh, honestly, I would, I, I'd like to give him a try out on the wing because I think he might be a little bit more dangerous and useful there. But, um, but yeah, like as a guy to bring on late to stretch that back line, to launch some balls to, Great. I like it, but I still haven't seen enough to think that he's the guy that we can play for 70 minutes here and there and actually really get a lot out of it. Um, 
And he's not terrible. I don't think he's bad at all, but I just think he he kind of lacks that technique and that finishing ability that that definitely Gite has and probably even uh even Cecilio has in certain moments that I'd rather have either of those guys play there uh, in for like long stretches of time. But again, he is so fast. And I Chris Bills uh has mentioned this before, but I think if you take like top running speed within a game he's he's up there among like not just MLS players, not us and FC players, but like world football. Like he is among the fastest players in the world and like in game speed. And so that is that weapon alone. If he's, he, he's decently technical with the ball. Uh, we've seen he, that finish against um, uh, who did we play last weekend? LA. Against LA last week, he's got that finishing moment. But there's some uh, one, t- a couple of times this week when he was one on one with the keeper, and didn't really have a very convincing shot in those moments. That, uh, yeah, I I still don't think I'm I'm super convinced that he can he can carry this team for longer stretches as a striker. Well, and another player that I want to talk about. So I guess so Cecilio played what 20 something minutes in this which made him the only Austin FC player to play in every match because Brad Stuver did not start this match and I'm still not sold on the reason why he didn't start but let, let's talk a little bit about about Andrew Tarbell and what we saw of him and what we didn't for a guy that we thought was going to be the starter for Austin FC going into the season yeah so I, I think he's just proved Again, that Brad Stuver deserves to be the starting goalkeeper. Uh, Tarbell's, I mean, his shot stopping is still pretty good. I think he, he showed that even during this game, stopped, stopped some pretty uh, some pretty dangerous shots. But distribution-wise, he's just shown that he's nowhere near on Stuver's level. And, and maybe with some games, like a string of games to build his confidence, he would look better in that. But... Um, but yeah, he's he's made mistakes here. I guess we've really only seen him since preseason. We've seen him in this game and in the Tigres game. And his distribution was not great in either of these. And he gave up this goal because of it uh, against against Colorado on Wednesday. Yeah, when we when we interviewed Stuver um, eight months ago or whatever now, he talked a lot about the role of the keeper, the role of the keeper, the attack, right? And then he talked a lot about distribution and decision-making and like going short and going long. And for me, like I don't, you know, I always think about keepers jobs being stopping the ball. Like that seemed like an odd set of things for him to talk about. But you know, now that I've seen this in practice and seen it in action, it makes a lot of sense in terms of this system that that's primarily what you want to see out of him. And so like, not only is Tarbell, you know, maybe not better as a shot stopper, but he's also like not better in those other situations. So looking at this this lineup, I mean, I I think I'm a person who is a bit more forgiving for like these ro- types of rotations and like resting players when they need it, especially in this in this circumstance where we're not going to make the playoffs. Uh, we've got these new guys on the team who are still kind of building up fitness. Um, and I've I've talked to a lot of people about how I wasn't as upset about the rotations in that first Dallas match. Uh, and so I'm probably a, l- a little less upset about leaving these guys at home for this game. But 
looking at the formation and kind of the tactics rolled out in this game, I didn't like that at all. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like the goal was to hold on to the game for, for 60 minutes, bring on Cecilio and try to steal a goal. But we, we saw that not work against Dallas that first time. We are also playing a very weak lineup and so if we're going to play a weak lineup, I'd almost rather see them just like set up in a 4-3-3 and play guys in their positions and see what happens. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. So I mean, and Josh apologized. He's like, yeah, Josh said it was like this sun me a lot in the post-game press conference. And at first I couldn't figure out even like exactly what he was talking about. Like, was he talking about who he left at home? Was he talking about the formation? And like eventually it was just both like it was it was all of it and i think what it came down to was just the amount of like the amount of change that everybody was willing to absorb and just you could do one or you can do the other but to like compound those where people are playing in positions they don't really understand that much with all that rotation was just like too much for one team to absorb and maybe it wouldn't have mattered like maybe i mean colorado was what they were third in the west going in and you know, maybe rolling Freddie Kleeman out and giving his best efforts like they're not the maybe you don't you don't get the best result you can, but you learn a little bit about your team too. Like I don't know how to process what came out of that game because there were so many different things that were changed. Like I can't say, oh, we suck at this formation or these guys are yeah. aren't very good, right? It's just like that was a mess. And that's all that's all I can interpret that yeah. game to be. And if you're gonna go out and bunker, like is having Manny Perez at right wing back the best way to go about that part of the game plan. Like again, if you're going to do the bunker, put Kleeman in, he's a real center back. Maybe he clearly hasn't impressed Wolf in, in practice because he's not getting minutes. Um, but put him in at center back, put wing or Lima at the wing back because he knows that position and can play it and just play some guys and give them a chance to succeed in this different setup. But, um, yeah, because I think the like bunkering, holding on for sixty minutes, and trying to steal a goal—that MLS teams have been doing that for ages. Like that's what you do on the road. Sometimes it's just like try to survive. And so I'm not criticizing that, but then trying to do that with the lineup that he rolled out—I just—it just, was just never going to work. Yeah, at least you weren't—you'll learn about their long-term potential, right? Because we're playing for next year or down the road at this point. You know, we don't know what everybody's contract situation is or anything, but you gotta, you know, you have to find out about your players, like what they have to offer to you in, in the future. Yeah. Um, all right, let's, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come back and talk about some of, uh, just kind of some of the fallout from this game and then how that led into Saturday's game and, uh, how we think those things affected each other. So we'll take a quick break and we will be right back. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to fvf.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fvf.law. 
Hey, Landon, let's talk about hot sauce. Let's do it. Teardrop Pepper Company has finally created the perfect recipe for hot sauce right here in Austin, Texas. Their all-natural, award-winning hot sauce has a delicious blend of flavor and heat, enhancing your favorite foods and leaving you wanting more. Whether you like the zesty kick of Golden Habanero or the garlicky smoothness of Supreme Serrano, it's the best way to spice up your Austin FC pre-match meals. Teardrop Pepper Company has two unique flavors available, and you can order them from their website, teardroppepperco.com, or from their social media pages. And when you have a game on Saturday afternoon, you can have Teardrop for both your pre-game meal, (laughs) post-game meal, and maybe like a late-night taco snack after you go out afterwards. So... Go to teardroppepperco.com, use the offer code GOAL, G-O-A-L, to save 10% off your order. Put it on everything, they'll make more. All right, so we had a rough start to the week. And I don't know, based upon past experience, if we had a lot of confidence going into the RSL match on Saturday. But we were going to be back at home. We had the best possible lineup that we could poss- that we could have. Josh Wolf promised a very aggressive starting eleven in the midweek press conference. And how did you feel going into Saturday? I mean, with the the lineup, I knew we were going to be able to start a very strong lineup just because of all the players that had been rested. Um, Ring missed the last weekend game with the red card, so even though he played a lot in the midweek game, he'd still probably be good to go with the, with out a a game on the back end of this one. So as far as lineup goes, I was feeling we were going to definitely see a good lineup, but uh, as far as like the tone, like the mood around the team, I was thinking like Josh Wolf better win this game (laughs) if he wants to prevent like a mob from coming after him. Yeah. And that's, I think we can get into this, but you know, during the uh, press conference during the midweek and the, during the uh wait during the Wednesday post match and the one in between the matches, you know, Josh is very much like I apologize, I apologize, I apologize, and then I feel like when it turned out okay, he's like, oh wait, actually I was strategic and never mind. I mean, <laughs> I meant all that. It was totally on purpose. And so he, but he also kind of got into um, we mentioned this like Jorge Jorge Isarelde talking about who was left home and who who flew uh for Denver. Like, do you think that was fair? Uh, like from Josh, I mean, yeah, I don't, it was like a very offhand comment, right? Like, I don't like he was, it was in response to a question and it did like, he said it in a critical tone though. Like he didn't like go after Jorge and was like cussing him out or anything, but he did make an offhand comment that seemed critical of the fact that Jorge released that information, which I think that's like, that's not fair at all. Like if he was being critical there, like if a journalist finds out that information, he's well within his rights to, to report that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, if like, if he doesn't want that stuff being found out, then it, like it came from within the team somewhere. Right. So that's on the team. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that. I mean, I feel like criticism doesn't go over, um, all that well. I will. I will say though, like, I saw some pretty uh, unrealistic comments on social media f- regarding this whole topic of 
people like being mad that they weren't told that those players weren't going to travel beforehand and anything regarding like a lineup, a roster that's going to be kept secret until the very last moment, because there is a slight competitive advantage to the other team, not knowing who you're going to put on the field. And so I like, am I, do you, do you feel the same way about that? Like, I think it's unreasonable to expect the team to like put out press releases saying like, Oh, tonight we're not going to play Driussi because he's tired. It's like, no, well, okay. Yeah. No, that's why, that's why both teams put out their lineups at the exact same time an hour before the game starts. Exactly, so yeah. they can't plan off of each other. And so by Wolf saying, yeah, we're leaving these guys at home. It's telling the other team, like these guys aren't playing. They're not even going to be available. Plan around that as you will. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not their job to tell people about it for sure. But it's, I mean, it's not, but also you, you can't criticize people for finding that out, but right. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. Like it's not, it's not their responsibility to make sure everybody knows everything about the club. Right. I mean, that would, that would be, that would be foolish, you know, but I mean, coming into this game, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it went. So what we're looking at is I think, I think considering that we were playing the galaxy, uh, the rapids and RSL that, getting six out of nine points from that week would make, I think I said this on Twitter, that would make this be like the best week in the history of Austin FC, considering the, considering the opponents that we would, that we would come out that way. So, and we, and we came into that like with that hope and, and it turned out to, uh, to come to be. Yeah. So talking about the, the strong lineup we were expecting to see, it ended up being uh, arguably the strongest lineup you could put out. I think you could argue Lima for Jimenez. Um, I think they both they both add different things to the lineup, but uh, it ended up being Stuver in goal, Kolmanich on the, at left back, Romagna, Cascante in the middle, Jimenez right back, uh, Ring and Pochettino in uh, central midfield, and then Dominguez, Giussi, Fagundes across the attacking midfield line, and then Gite up top. And so, um, yeah, very strong lineup coming out. And then Austin looked good, like right off the bat, right? I think there's maybe some some sloppy play, like they were they were moving the ball well, getting into dangerous positions, and I think several times, like they would get have like momentum killed by a bit of bit of sloppy play. But uh, it ended up coming good in the 17th minute with Cecilio Dominguez's first goal. Um, it was like Gite had the ball in the box and bounced it off of the same defender. I think like three different times he tried to like do a little first time flick into the boxes. He received it and it bounced off the defender and then tried to play a pass two times and bounced off the same defender and ends up, ends up spilling over to Driussi who uh, hits a really hard shot right at the keeper keeper spills it and it falls to uh, Cecilio on the backside who puts it in. And if you watch, we'll get into to more of Cecilio's performance later on. But if you watch Cecilio during this goal, he starts about, I don't know, 45 yards from goal and slowly jogs towards the back post the entire time the play is going on and never really changes speed or anything. And then as he gets closer, the ball just falls to him and he finishes it. <laughs> He's like, hey, there's a ball. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, before we get more into this, um, Cecilia had different hair 
that he oh, had. Oh, he did, yeah. So did we ever did, did we ever see Celio's braids like out in the wild? Because he had this like I feel like he had the, that like very intricately braided like Cancun, you know, spring break hair pulled back, and then like he kind of, like I feel like he went back to his just like standard like pulled back hair in this in this match. He had it. He still had the braids in in Colorado, and there were some better shots of it. Okay, so I got I a better those. look at what was going on in the Colorado game, and my opinion is slightly higher. Um, I was in like, I don't know. We don't need to talk about hair again. Anyway, <laughs> I, I retract my, my negative statements about his hair from okay. last weekend. I, I liked the braids a little bit better than I thought I did after I got a good close up of it, but I prefer the, the wild, like big curly hair that okay. he was rocking against RSL. Okay. And so we were, uh, yeah, right. We're going, we're going more back toward that. Then when we see that. <laughs> so, yeah. So then, I mean, the first, the, the rest of the first half, like I felt like. I don't know if the numbers really necessarily show that, but I feel like we're in pretty good shape. Um, uh, I think shot like shots wise, the numbers definitely did. I think um, when the half was over, we had fifty two percent possession and had uh, total shots was seven to three at the half. So I think overall the numbers were in our favor, and I think the game felt that way as well. Like it felt like we were we should have been winning it. Yeah, I agree with that. That was this. This was the game where the stats and the like, just watching the game from where I was, like, seemed to line up. You know, sometimes that doesn't always happen, but you know, I felt like we we're on the front foot for that whole half, and you know, just by sort of a little bit of lack of luck. And you know, Josh talked about maybe that it should have been five or six to one. I'm not sure I agree with that, but I felt like we were the better team in the first half. We were the better. We were the better team all throughout. Yeah. So uh, going into half. I was, I think somebody, somebody had gone down with like a cramp or something early on. And then ring actually like pretty early on, uh, we were moving the ball around the back and, uh, Jimenez was out on the right and had ring in a lot of space in the middle, but played it behind him and ends up being kind of a, a hospital ball. And he has a pretty heavy collision with, I think Anderson Julio was the player, the RSL player that he went up against, but uh, he wins the ball and is able to get it to an Austin player again, but he took a really big hit. And as he got up, he was grabbing his arm and like, was not interested in having the ball played to him, was not even paying attention really for several seconds. Uh, And I was worried that at half, he was maybe not going to come back out, but halftime happens. Same team comes back out. Um, and in the, I guess, 55th minute is when Austin's second goal comes. And this goal was really, really nice overall, really. Uh, Jite had dropped deep to, to aid in the buildup. He receives the ball, plays it out wide to Driussi. I did not appreciate the quality of this pass in real time. It happened on the, the far end of the field from where I was sitting, but upon the replay of this, this pass was amazing from Juicy. So Jite plays it to him. He hits it first time with the outside of his boot, chips it over the top of the back line, probably 25, 30 yards, right into Diego's stride. Uh, Diego takes it, drives at goal, takes a really quick look across, sees that Cecilio is running by himself on the far side. And he, he hits the ball really hard, which... I think he needed to, to get it past the defender and then also past uh, Ochoa, the keeper. 
and hits it like a little bit in front of Cecilio, like maybe dangerously ahead of Cecilio, but I think it's really the only place he could have put it in the moment. And luckily Cecilio was able to to get enough speed up and kind of dive to like slid in to get the get a foot on the ball and put it in. But um the pass by Jerusi was amazing. But I think I I kind of underappreciated the finish by Cecilio as well, because he really did have to like take a a few pretty heavy steps to to get to it and then slide in to get a foot on the ball to, to put it in the back of the net there. Yeah, and that's I thought the same thing. Cause I thought watching it in real time, Cecilia never looks that fast. And I don't know if it's because he's a bigger guy, like he doesn't seem like he that's not the way he moves, but when when uh when they came up to Minka's foot, like I didn't think he was gonna catch it. Like I thought that was gonna be one of those that just like slides out wide. Yeah. And I could couldn't see so like I don't know if he just like finally put it in extra gear or what, but I was surprised that he put it behind him. And then we, so Driussi, I wanted to talk about this because this is something we mentioned before is the hockey assist. Like what, what is a hockey assist in ter- in soccer terms? So it, it really only exists in MLS uh, in soccer terms. So in hockey, in certain situations, like you get an assist, if you're the one like a, an assist, like in other sports is the guy who plays the pass that leads to the goal. That's the assist. In hockey, the guy who plays the pass before that will also get an assist in certain circumstances. Uh, Also, in MLS, the guy who plays the ball before will also sometimes get an assist. And I don't quite know the rules. I think it's like essentially the pass needs to help lead to the goal. And so in this case where like Drusi's pass essentially does create the goal, uh, and then Diego plays it to him. Uh, Driussi will get, I believe in MLS, it's the technical term is a secondary assist. Um, but Driussi will get a, an, an assist there as well. But if you look at like the Premier League, they don't count that stat. Like they don't, they won't register it's just, that. It's just a person who played the ball that led the, that led the goal specifically, right? There's not. Correct. It's not a secondary, right? Well, yeah, that's a beautiful connecting play. And, Today, uh believe MLS announced that is well, I don't know if it was MLS, I think it was just the website. That was like the pass of the week was the first ball that Triusi played on that goal. Well deserved for sure. <laughs> um, for sure. And then and we're the, gonna and then I thought we were I was gonna say we thought we were cruising to victory. And, you know, in true Austin FC fashion, uh RSL gets one back. Yeah, so uh they were I, I think it was still pretty pretty even at that point, and it's around the 64th minute. So uh, Diego Rubio had come on not long before that at striker for RSL, and he kind of was making a run to the box and checked back, and Albert Rusnak had the ball wide right and spotted that and plays a really good ball into him. Uh, Cascante was the one marking him, and as he noticed that, that uh, Rubio had checked that run, he slips and falls down as the ball goes across Romagna's face and uh, Rubio receives it, Romagna just, again, we've seen him do this before, his field of vision just follows the ball across and he completely ignores Demir Krylock, who he had been tracking. Krylock runs in behind him. Rubio one-touch passes it to Krylock in behind the back line and Krylock finishes it. So 
Um, Romagna has been doing a lot of things a lot better than he had been doing, but this is still the biggest flaw in his game where he just shuts off and loses that focus sometimes and ball watches. And so if he would have just taken an extra step and maybe put either stepped across Crylock and, and anticipated that run or put a little bit of pressure on him, maybe he could have, uh, could have tipped that pass away or something, but he just was watching the ball and completely forgets Demir Krylock exists and Rubio does a really nice one-time pass in behind and Krylock's always going to finish that that ball from there. Yes, that was his uh, 12th goal in the season, I think. He was, we talked about him being sort of the the most dangerous threat that they have in offense. And so he lived up to that uh, and we didn't have another goal for the rest of the match but we thought we were going to get one uh, on the GTA penalty. It, it, so, so, on, so this is seven, this was at 77. So like it was called a penalty kick on the field, right? And then Correct. called back VFR. Correct. Yeah. They gave the penalty immediately and then looked at VAR and called it off. And di- I mean, I don't, I thought it was a penalty in the moment. And then I was shocked that there was like clear and, president evidence or whatever they're supposed to be to overturn the penalty um on that especially given that it was taken like how did you feel about that um in the moment i i couldn't tell well enough and then whenever it's a var decision they don't show the replay in the stadium they stop showing replays at that point and so i didn't get to see it then and then on social media i saw like some freeze frames where you can see the defender behind him essentially has an, a whole hand around Jite's arm. Well, because it, it takes like, it takes like both your arm, both your hands, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it full, like it full stretch to get around like one of Jite's arms. So I get that. Yeah. yeah, and it in that freeze frame, it looks like he's like dragging him back as hard as he can. Upon watching the replay of the game, he does grab the arm and gives a little bit of a tug, but it's not as dramatic as I thought it was from that freeze frame. Um. Honestly, like looking back at it, I don't know if it should have been a penalty, but I also don't know that there's like a clear and obvious error to overturn it there either. Yeah, that's, I guess that's what I came down to. So it was called a penalty on the field in the moment. Like it didn't seem like there was enough to overturn it. I, I definitely less egregious than than the McKinsey Gaines one in Colorado. Yeah, which I mean. I guess luckily neither one of those calls or lacks of calls like changed the outcome of either game because we weren't winning that game at Colorado and we ended up winning the game um, at home, but it made for an interesting, I mean, it made for a nervy last 20 minutes, but honestly, RSL picked up momentum after that goal too. They started looking a lot more dangerous for, for a stretch after that. But, um, but yeah, there's several, you, you talk about Wolf saying that it, like hinting that he thinks it could have been like four or five. I don't think he's too far off. I mean, if we get that penalty, that's, we'll say that's one. And then there was a couple of other moments that uh, David Ochoa, their keeper, had a really good game. He was really good. And there's specifically a, uh, like a little flick by ring right inside the box that Ochoa gets a finger to and is able to tip it wide. And a couple of other moments where Ochoa is just really quick to react to some dangerous moments and, and cut stuff out. So I think if 
against a less like a lower quality keeper and if we get that penalty i think it easily is is four one yeah and one more minute before moment before we forgot because it's going to be directly influential upon the next game i think so danny Pereira gets a yellow card at 90 plus two uh, which i believe is his fifth now because he had four then he took one wait he had four he took one back for like going eight games in a row without a yellow yeah, for good then behavior, he got an, essentially. Good behavior. Then he got another one. And I think it's only been like two or three games since he got that. So I believe that the one he picked up um, in extra time is his is his fifth yellow and he'll have to miss the next match. I haven't seen that, but does that sound right? I think so, yeah. that They were saying that on the Spanish language broadcast that uh, he would. And I, I didn't, hadn't thought about that until that point. But uh, it was a little bit like it was necessary. I think the foul was a good idea, but he had an opportunity a few seconds before to make that professional foul in a manner that probably wouldn't have gotten him a yellow. And then he ends up having to chase a guy down and and throw him down because we're just not going to risk a breakaway at that point in time. Especially um, where we're at that point in time, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Being up two one late in the game, like, yeah, foul the guy, but he had an opportunity to do it a few seconds before and didn't take it. And so then he had to take that yellow when maybe he could have gotten away with just a foul. Yeah. So we, so we see that out. Um, you talked about Alex ring. Like, I feel like that was, this was one of his best games. Like yeah, where he Alex played ring was where he, he, he played. Was, yeah. Where he cut the stuff where he cut, like cut plays off, especially the first half. Like it was amazing. Yeah. It was more of like a early in the season, Alex ring, which, uh, we we talk about Alex Ring like looking like uh like bad tempered on the field like just looks like kind of like like he's growling all the time like kind of a grumpy player and I, now I'm just imagining like every time he has to go back and clean up a mess and like make a last ditch tackle to save to save us from a breakaway all I can think of is Alex Ring thinking like I should be playing at the eight. <laughs> like, <laughs> I should be playing further forward, not doing all this crap and and saving this team over and over. But he's very good at saving this team over and over and had a lot of like really clever, really good little tackles in the perfect moment to to save Austin from some really dangerous moments from RSL. Yeah, I think of him like my wife when she walks around the house and picks up that for my kids. <laughs> She's just like, I shouldn't have to do this, but I'm going to do it because this is my job and like I'm the best person Added. I think that I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, he was really good. Um, I think Drewsi is interesting because, other than that pass, like I don't feel like he really stood out. But he's just he's so good. Like you just, I feel like you don't. He, it doesn't. You don't see him making that like working as hard as everybody else. I think we talked about that before too. Yeah, I think he's he doesn't have to work as hard as everybody else because he's he's just and I've said this before, he's an extremely intelligent player. Like he knows where to be, he knows when to be there. And so where someone else might have to take twice as many steps because they started to go one way and then adjusted and went the other way, Drucy just goes straight there and he knows where he's supposed to be. But uh during like the live watch, I thought he was pretty good. Um, on the replay, I thought he was maybe one of the two best players on the field. Uh, and you would imagine since Cecilio Dominguez won, uh, 
MLS player of the week and was on the MLS team of the week, I would say that Cecilia Dominguez was the best player on the field. But I actually think that Driussi and Diego were the best players on the field, probably. So let's talk about why, give, given that outcome. So what did you see or not see from Cecilio that doesn't make you think he was one of the two plus best players on the field on Saturday? I mean, he, so he scores the two goals. I already said in the, in the first one, like... He essentially was just there when the ball fell to him and kicked it in. Uh, did a little bit more work on the second goal, but uh, Driussi and and Diego did a lot of the work, most of the work on that one. And he just made that little sprint at the last second. And and he to, to his credit, he he showed as much. Like he didn't really celebrate. He grabbed Diego and started pointing at Diego. Like this is the guy that did it, which I I appreciated about about Cecilio, but. Um, I think I was a little bit harsh towards him on Twitter after the game when he won man of the match and people were saying like, oh, this is Cecilio's best game for us. It's like, I don't think he was very good <laughs> in the game because early on, especially in the first half, he had several heavy touches, uh, several misplaced passes. There was one time this might've been in the, in the second half that, no, this was still in the first half. There was a long ball up the side and he was completely by himself that he could have brought the ball down and, and launched a pretty dangerous, uh, attack by driving at goal there. And he takes a really heavy touch that almost goes out of bounds and he has a sprint and like kind of jump to save it. And it just slows down that counterattack where just because he had a heavy touch. And so there's several little moments like that. And those are the ones that stuck in my mind, but there are lots of moments also where we were able to either play it into GJ and kind of switch play or hit a diagonal ball across to Cecilio and get him one-on-one with one of those defenders. And he roasted guys a few times. And, and those moments didn't turn into goals, but uh, I think those are the moments when Cecilio Dominguez really shines is one-on-one with a guy at the edge of the box. And and he showed why he's good at those things and how how dangerous he can be in those moments. And so I, before, right after the game, after the live watch, I was like, I don't think Cecilio actually played that well. I, I take that back completely. I think he actually had a pretty good game, but on both of the goals, uh, Gite and Driussi are involved in both of them. And I don't think either of them happen without the good work that other players did that Cecilio kind of benefited from. And so, yeah, even though I do, I don't think he was the best player in the field. He did have a, a pretty good game. So, do you feel like the Josh Wolf strategy for the whole week was vindicated by the win on Saturday? Yeah, that's the question, right? Like, <laughs> is was he right? Like, did what do you think? Do you think he was? Do you think he's vindicated? I think it's easy to say that based upon the results, like after the fact. But I think he should have taken a different approach this week. Yeah, I, 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 I won't go as far to say vindicated, but I'll, if I could change the word to like, this made it acceptable. Uh, I think that is the case. Like people will be a bit more forgiving about it because of the fact that we've got six points out of six and a half days, essentially. And two of the probably the best performances we've seen from this team in the same week of the season. Uh, those two things I think make, take the sting off of that Wednesday night a little bit. Um, 
but yeah, again, he, he really needed to win this game and, and he pulled it off and did it. So, uh, I think maybe he'll keep the wolves, uh, no, no pun intended, keep the wolves away for, for another week. <laughs> yeah. And so we're going to talk, uh, next week, we'll talk about this, uh, at length, but yeah, we talked about, we, 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 we mentioned when we were talking about the Colorado match that it was like too much rotation. And I think, you know, I'm clearly not an MLS head coach, so I'm not going to pretend to be this, but I would have played Stuver. I would have rolled at my best like four three three and give it give it the best effort and not like over rotated. I think in the first match, and I think it especially we we talked about this earlier, but you know, in the press conference after the Wednesday match, he's like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, blah blah blah, and over rotated." And then you know, in the press conference after the match on Saturday, he's kind of dismissed all that like i feel like the wednesday apologies were like giving himself cover in case they didn't turn out the way it did on saturday and then when they did on saturday he's like oh, i totally meant that like that was <laughs> nailed it <laughs> nailed it i was totally gonna give up like i was giving up wednesday to get six out of nine for the week which is a great week and i just don't know if i don't know if i buy that overall I, you know on the we didn't get into this we've talked about it a lot but i mean three games in seven days is a lot but for people that don't follow MLS regularly, we should probably just briefly mention like why that happened now and why we don't expect to see that happen in the future. Yeah, I mean, so MLS's schedule in general is pretty compact. And with the weird COVID year and the weird CBA stuff happening at the beginning of this year, it was even more compact this season. Uh, but with the we haven't really even mentioned this but the new what is it called leagues cup is that what they're calling that tournament jeremiah oh yeah the league yeah the leagues cup yeah the new tournament so that's true i was thinking before this year this would not happen again but with them taking a month off for the leagues cup next year maybe this would totally happen again in next season I, that might actually not start to 23 i can't remember if that's the case or not i think that starts in 2023 but in any case we do expect the the league, like the season to be a little less compact next year and we'll see fewer of the weeks like we've had. Hopefully. I hope that's the case. Yeah. And another interesting thing that we saw this week, which was this in the Matt Doyle article? Because one of the, one of the other things that everybody talked about, and this came up in the press conference is like, is this the best of Austin FC? Like, was this the, the 11 we saw this Saturday and last Sunday? Like, which is what I was wanting to title the podcast. Like, is, are we actually good? Now that we have everybody. <laughs> And I thought it was interesting, the numbers that came up um, <clears throat> out of this in the, I guess it was like the Doyle's like highlights for the week or whatever. So do you want to go over those right quick? Yeah, for sure. So um, he the, the stats he mentions are essentially goals per 94 and against Austin FC. And so uh, over the course of the whole season, Austin scores 0.9 goals per 90 and they've conceded 1.4 goals per 90 uh and that's not very good over <laughs> over a season uh with sebastian driussi on the field they've scored 1.5 per 90 and have conceded two per 90 so a little bit better with driussi and gj on the field they've scored 2.1 per 90 and have conceded 0.7 and so it's a small sample size. It's only a, a few games really worth of minutes with that in that. But 
2.1 to 0.7, that's like a, an extremely good soccer team if you put put up those numbers consistently. Uh, so again, small sample size, but I, I'm hoping that this is something to to grab onto and something to build around into next season. Yeah, that kind of ties back into the uh, the overall uh, X goals out of the RSL match is like, which we haven't talked about a lot in a while, but we were, our expected goals were 2.67 and, and RSLs were 0.96. So, you know, it's probably the best number of the year as far as like yeah. for a 90 minute full domination. So, you know, maybe this, uh, it's kind of late in the year to make a rally. And we talked about that last week too, but it gives you a lot of hope for 2022 um, which we can talk about again when we talk about sort of the wolf in, wolf out thing next week. Uh, I think that what Wolf needs and what the Austin FC needs is for people to have some hope going into next season. The next season is going to be good. And between this week and that those numbers, like there's reason to believe that it's that that's a truth that that is that it's going to happen in 2022. Yeah, and so you just mentioned this briefly, but let's take a, a moment to plug what next week's show is going to be. So Austin FC doesn't have another game until October 16th. There's uh, World Cup qualifiers happening right now, so we have two weeks off, essentially. So next week, we're going to take the opportunity with the extra showtime. We're going to have Chris Wilhausen come on and have a little uh, like a little debate-style show. It's going to be Wolf In, hashtag Wolf In versus hashtag Wolf Out. Uh, we're going to try to, to keep it civilized and to keep rational arguments as the, the, the main tone of the show. But, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people will, will enjoy that one. So definitely tune in next week for that. Yeah. And I think like, as you listen to this one or think about it, or whatever, like send us a note, you know, tweet at us, DM us or whatever. I mean, we'd love to hear, you know, we don't want to create arguments out of, you know, like, like take it out of the air, but like whatever, wherever you are, if you're a wolf in or wolf out, like we'd love to know why you are that way and what you believe about it so that we can have like a, a realistic discussion um, about the future of the club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one more thing that I think we should mention before we move on to some of this other uh, news. And th- this one specifically came out of the, post-game press conference in Colorado, Wolf was talking about Matt Beasler. And I don't know if he meant to say this, but he was talking about like depth and rotation. And when talking about Beasler, he says when he comes back, if he comes back. And I thought like that kind of perked my ears up and I was like, wait, if he comes back? Like I thought that might be a, a reality, but it like Josh Wolf said it out loud. I don't know if he... Uh, overstepped there, or if if that's something that's actually a reality right now, that Matt Beasler might not play again this year. Yeah, and uh, well, I was especially surprised that by that because we, I think, I think it was Bills or somebody reported that earlier in the week he was like out on the field at training. Not that he was like training with the club, but he was doing like individual, and maybe they make him give applause or whatever that he was like out on the field. So, I mean, what do you, what do you see Matt Beasler's future in Austin? I don't know. I mean, like concussions are are serious things. I mean, you saw Ike Opara kind of do an early retirement this year because of uh, a lot of concussion problems. Um, I think concussions aside, Matt Beasler seems to be physically on the decline. 
just he's at that age that it's not a surprising thing to see. I think he would still bring value to the club if we kept him around for one more year, even if he's not playing as many minutes as as he has this year, just to have that kind of presence in the locker room, to have a guy with that much experience that uh, someone like Romagna can kind of watch and learn from. Uh, definitely worth having around, but if we're depending on Matt Beasler to be to play as many minutes or even three quarters of the minutes, half as many minutes as he's played this year, then I think something has gone horribly wrong. Because I think we need to start transitioning him out, and if that's the case, we need a more dependable center back to to be able to play regularly than what we have currently. Yeah, we're not going to find that solution in-house for sure. And then some people have talked about, like, you know, do you transition into a role in our front office? And I just don't see that with the time and connections he has in Kansas City. Yeah. I I assume assume he's going back to KC, like, as soon as he's done in Austin. Yeah, if he's going to work in the front office, it's going to be in Kansas City for sure. Yeah, well, let's, um, let's talk about a few other things. We had our first, I believe, right, our first national team player. Call up Jean Komanich. Yeah, call the, the Slovenian national team. We've we've got quite a few players who have call ups in their past, but not while they've played for us in FC. So yeah, that's pretty exciting. And it's also Jean's first call up to the full Slovenian national team. Before he had played with like his age groups. I think he was late. Like after he signed, he like left and was late to reporting to camp because he was playing with the U twenty one team. Um. And but yeah, so really exciting. I'm not sure where he sits in their depth chart, but he's going to be on the bench and at the games for Slovenia's World Cup qualifying games. Yeah. Do you think that means anything? You know, do you think in terms of do we suddenly become more appealing to like Eastern European players or like parts of the world because that it is a path in a, to the like your local national team that um, that wasn't there before? Or I mean, what do you what do you how do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm like I'm not I don't know for sure that it's going to have like a huge effect, but it's not hurting. I mean, like Kolmanich talked about it like the way he talks about it is that he knew like he looked at it as that kind of pathway from the very beginning. And I imagine his agent represents other people over there. He has his friends on the national team that he's going to be talking to, his old teammates that he'll be talking to. And there's a few other uh a few other Slovenian players currently in the league and a lot of other guys in the league from that part of the world who maybe aren't getting the same kind of attention uh, from other European leagues that, yeah, they might start looking more and more to MLS as that pathway as, as uh, like South American, Latin American players have, have been doing for, for several years at this point. And so, yeah, it might be this weird reverse path of coming from Europe to MLS so you can Go maybe back to get Europe. back yeah. to Europe. <laughs> uh, so looking at the rest of the season, one of the the main motivating factors and the things that we have to win the is only. or potentially win is like some pride within within Texas, right? And so looking at Copa Tejas, I haven't looked at these numbers, Jeremiah. Is it still mathematically possible for us to win? So Austin, yes, it is still mathematically possible for us to win, but we need to pick up but actually, our fate is in our own hands on this. If we pick up the October 24th win versus Houston in Austin, then the October 30th match in 
Frisco with uh, Austin FC versus FC Dallas will be for Copa Tejas. So, and so we, we just have to win, right? We don't have to win with goal differential or nope. anything. It's just win both and we and it's ours. If we win both, it's ours. And if we beat Houston, then the winner of that second match is the winner of Copa de Oz, which would, right. I mean, would for the teams that are currently sitting 11th, 12th, and 13th in the table, uh, would, I mean, it would be kind of exciting to have an outcome that, that, that could mean something. So do you, I mean, that's the question. Do you think that means something? I mean... At the beginning of the season, I would have been like, yeah, that seems nice. But at this point in the season, that would be the most exciting thing to happen to this team. And with the way Austin FC has been playing and the kind of this break in the middle and being able to rest guys here and there, it seems completely possible, right? Um, I think the roster we played on the last two weekends and the way we played the last two weekends can and should beat Houston and Dallas. Uh, whether or not we can do that consistently, and there's going to be we have some more three game weeks coming up, and so there'll definitely need be a need for rotation. But um, I think a lot of the fans have sent the message, and I imagine it's been heard by this point that don't rotate on those games because those are the only ones that matter at this point, really. Yeah, and if anybody's listening in a position to like. <laughs> you know, make that happen. You know, the other thing about that that we talked about before that um wasn't great is because of the recent form of teams. If we win Copa Teos, we will probably also finish above Dallas and Houston the table. So if you just look at like the last three games, Dallas has picked up one point, Houston's picked up one point, and we picked up six. So if we're kind of in a spot where if we if we win both those games, we should probably also finish ahead of both of them. And we may still be in 11th. We still may be third to last, but we could also be like the first, you know, the the highest team in the table from the state. What about overall standings for the whole league? Where are we sitting there? So I believe that in the whole league, we're, what is it? We're ahead of both. Yeah. Cause there's that awful wooden spoon thing. Toronto and Cincinnati. Okay. So we are actually tied with Toronto on points right now. And ahead of Cincinnati, but By we've five got five points. Yeah. So Cincinnati, again, like we say this repeatedly, thank God we're not FC Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, we could logically move ahead of Houston too, because we've got a game ahead. We've got a game in hand on Houston. Correct. Yeah. Two points behind with a game in hand and then three points behind Dallas. So yeah, could very easily move up, move up that table uh, within the next few weeks. Yeah, let's hope for that. And so if you want to go on the Frisco away trip, I think it's probably the last big road trip of the year for Austin FC fans. Uh, I believe that is a, I think it's $30 for a game ticket and $35 for a game ticket plus a bus. So check out our show notes on the show or your favorite supporters group, social media accounts. And also I think the club's going to start, the club's going to email out uh, promotion around that to everybody to make sure that as many people as possible make it to that match on October 30th. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else we want to hit before we finish up, Jeremiah? No, let's go ahead and wrap it up because we don't have a game preview for next week. That's right. No game next week. Uh, we we mentioned this before, but we'll, we'll be doing our Wolf In versus Wolf Out debate with special guest Chris Wilhausen, so tune in for that for sure. Uh, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter at Elvia Harrow 87 and jbentley underscore ATX. 
and then at Moon Tower Soccer on both Twitter and Instagram. And then visit the Striker Texas. Find the best uh, best Texas soccer journalism. Is there an article you want to plug this week, Jeremiah? Well, there are two that I want to plug. And I have another comment on Josh Wolf that I want to add to this. So uh, one, so the first is McKenzie Gaines, uh, sort of his in the place where it all began uh, article from Chris Bills about the history of McKenzie Gaines. The second is Josh Wolf's uh, being tired of being on the wrong side of the MLS referee calls. And also reminds me of that like magenta sweater he wore. It's <laughs> LA Galaxy, which I don't really get, but I'm glad that he, we've retired that again for the very meme-worthy Verde polo that he wore for the, the match on Saturday. You should definitely... If you haven't seen him like running around and like kicking his legs in the air um, on the field on Twitter somewhere, I highly encourage you to do that. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will take a deep dive into the state of the team and the coaching situation. We're also going to preview the following home match versus Minnesota United on October 16th. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. No one is around. Muchas gracias. Bye, bye.